BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Hi, well, welcome to the Coaches Network. You might be wondering, where is Yasser? Don't worry, he's here. Um, this is going to be a slightly different podcast today. My name's Kate Bosomworth and I've worked in sport pretty much most of my career. I set up my first sports PR agency back in 2003 and I suppose didn't look back really. I've been on the board of Sport England for six years between 2013 and 19 where I wrote the brief for This Girl Can and then was strategic lead for that project which was a real milestone in my career. I've worked with UEFA launched their first women's programme, We Play Strong, and I'm now non-exec chair of Onside Law, um, which is a sport law firm. I also run a marketing agency, so I've done all sorts of stuff in my career, but sport has definitely been the anchor point and my real passion and career focus. I met Yasser for the first time through coaching, so we thought what better way to celebrate the 100th podcast of the Coaches Network is that I would turn the tables on Yasser and we'd hear from him. So today I'm going to be interviewing Yasser. Um, how do you feel about that, Yasser? You're in the hot seat? Yeah, interesting, interesting one, you know, having the tables turned. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it, Kay. Let's start at the beginning. How did your coaching journey begin? I mean, it was literally by, I don't know if you call it by accident, but it was, it was never planned. As most young boys do, they play football. Mm-hmm. Um, Left school at 16, didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I just, did, I just knew I didn't want to work in an office or behind a desk. So I went to college, did uh, you know, some sports-related courses for the first couple of years. And it was kind of around eight years, second year of college. I finished my second year of college and I applied for uni. Now, at the time, I was kind of doing my own thing. And what I mean by that is I was, I was kind of... I was living at home, but I was also living elsewhere and I was bouncing around from place to place. And what happened on that journey is I started hanging around with some different type of people. Um, I wouldn't call them bad people, just different. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I fell into some of their bad habits and I got, into, I got myself into a little bit of trouble as well. But it was at that point I had, I had to make a decision almost, if you like. Okay, I can either continue doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. and follow these people in their footsteps 
or I can try and shift it and do something more positive. So I, it was it was interesting. So without going into too much detail, I actually was on was on curfew. I, you know, I've got I've got a criminal record off the back of that, and I had a tag around my ankle. Interestingly enough, and at that time I decided right, I'm just gonna go and book on my level one and see what happens, mm. and. I'd always been encouraged to kind of, yeah, go into your level one, go into your level one. You know, you like football, you know, you might enjoy coaching. I was like, nah, it's not for me, it's not for me. I, I mean, I like football, but I don't know nothing about coaching. I'm not really interested in that. And I think as time's gone on, one of the things I've kind of understood is actually, yeah, coaching is, I do enjoy coaching. Mm-hmm. But actually it's the helping people, making people feel more successful and, you know, developing themselves is probably the more key part to it. And if I go back to that journey there, I remember taking my level one and thinking, right, okay, let's get this going. And I just started reaching out to some local clubs, see who needed a coach. And one club, uh, I guess, you know, bit on, bit on it and said to me, right, come in, we'll have a meeting. I remember this meeting like it was yesterday. I was sitting in, in McDonald's in Northwest London. He said, you come and meet me at McDonald's. Um, I love their breakfast or something like that. So I have whatever works for you, man. <laughs> and then we had a chat. We spoke for about half an hour, 40 minutes. We're talking just, you know, about my journey, football, um, and he said, yeah, right, well, we've got three teams. There's three boys' teams. There's a, you know, they're, all, they're all the same age, but we've got an A, B, and C because we've got, just had a large influx of boys for that, for that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking for a coach for our C team. I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. Um, so I had no experience at all, gone in there. And I remember my first session, um, I came, I was there for maybe for the first three, four weeks of me being there. I actually was coaching with my tag on. Um, so I remember some of the looks I was getting from the parents, thinking, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, but thankfully for me, they, you know, they didn't judge me for it. They probably did have questions in their head, but you know, no, no one said anything. Um, but I'm, again, straight from the get-go, I managed to develop a really good relationship with the players in that, in that, in that group. And then kind of from there, I got into coaching. I haven't looked back since. Mm. Um, you know, I fell into a bit of a challenge, I want to say. Around, so that was probably around 2000, end of 2009 sort of time. Yeah. Got to about 2012 and I had a bit of a challenge there because at the time... Uh, pre-2011, there was no uh, centralised DBS or CRB checks done by the FA. Everything had to be done individually at the clubs, if you like. Mm. So when the club, when the FA brought their system in place, obviously the club knew about my situation, but the FA, I guess, if you like, were not aware of it. Yeah. So they actually gave me a permanent ban at the time. Um, and at the time, I was just angry, frustrated. And I think about 80, it lasted about 12 months and I was just like... So how did you get over that? Well, this was it. So it lasted about 12 months and then I, I kind of just said to myself, no, I miss coaching. Mm. Like, for the first time, I'd actually... I didn't have to reflect and think. Coaching was probably the first thing I did where I thought, I genuinely enjoy doing this. I love this. this, yeah. Exactly, it's a passion. Um, for two for two reasons. You know, I'm a mad football fan at the time. But I'm getting to teach people football. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was kind it's of quite a privilege, yeah, really. Exactly. So it was kind of a two and one for me. I thought, then I've got, you know, I got to that point there, and what kind of really got me frustrated now is because I started and I started off really well. I managed to get through a few qualifications. So within the first eight, you know, maybe twelve to eighteen months, I was, I've done about four or five different courses, and I was like on my way to kind of, yeah, kind of just keeping that momentum going. And then this just came in and stopped, stopped me in my tracks. Eighteen months, twelve, yeah, twelve to eighteen months later, I kind of just turned. I said, no, I need to do something about this. I appealed it, got it overturned, and, I, and again, the rest is history. I haven't looked back since, and I've kind of just been trying to build that momentum, keep it going, 
and through the years I've had a range of experiences working, like I said, in college football, but yeah. um, university football, working in, uh, you know, non-league senior men's and women's football, mm. um, working in academies. Um, so I've worked quite, you know, quite a range of different experiences and roles across, across those, you know, the last mm-hmm. probably eight years now. Mm. Um, so whilst I've been coaching since 2009-ish or 2010 sort of time, I've probably only been active for about seven years. Mm. Um, but I've had a wealth of experiences, I consider, within that time frame. Yeah, you've packed quite a lot into yeah. the last eight to ten years, really. I definitely think I have. And I think, you know, I, I say this to people all the time, that for me, my biggest learning curve was around 2016. Because I was working up maybe four or five different environments at that time, mm. but specifically in a coaching capacity. Yeah. So I was finding myself actually coaching probably about 25 to 30 hours a week. Wow on the grass with players um, and that's outside of matches mm-hmm. and actually doing training sessions so I, the development I kind of had in that time frame that period of time was just immense for it's me it's quite intensive yeah. yeah wow okay why don't we talk about how we met so um, I am a mum I've got two children who are now mid-teens um, but back in 2015-16 I was looking to find somewhere for my daughter who was nine at the time to learn to play football she was really sporty and I couldn't find anywhere for her to learn to play she was either invited for a trial to a women's club and of course she wasn't good enough to trial um all mixed teams um or boys teams would invite her to play because she was still within the FA guidelines and that wasn't going to work so I thought well if I can't find somewhere for her to learn to play football I'd set something up and a mutual friend um, in, introduced me to Yasser as a brilliant coach. And with Yasser's help, I set up a girls coaching squad, not a football team, but a coaching squad in South London in 2016. Yeah, and Yasser became my head coach. And from then helped me recruit up to, we had about... 40, 45? Yeah, between 40 and 50 girls coming to Battersea Park of different ages. We had a four to... We had a, a, a Diddy's group. Yeah. We had the four to six-year-olds and the seven to 11-year-olds. And it was possibly one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. <clears throat> We'd meet every Saturday, you know, come rain or shine, all the way through the year. Um, we, rec- we were recruiting more and more girls as we went. And thanks to the coaching squad, many of those girls went on to play for girls' teams, yeah. which were becoming more and more prevalent in, across London, including my daughter, who went on to play for Ballam FC, which was, I think, it's an award-winning community club, one of the biggest community yeah. clubs in the country. And with Ballam, she formed part of their first girls' team, under-11s. They then went on to win, I don't know, the London Cup. They won the yeah. league. It was amazing. Um, played on different stadiums as well, weren't they? And, and I, have, I have you to thank for that, Yasser, because you, I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. Um, and I think there's two or three things that I wanted to, to talk about today with regards to this club. Yeah, it was called My Squad. Um, you were instrumental in recruiting, helping me recruit some amazing coaches. But your coaching style was something that blew me away. You know, I've worked in sport all my life. Um, and I think your coaching style was one of the reasons the coaching club was so successful. Do you want to talk about your coaching style? Yeah, I mean, I started coaching in 2010, 2009. Um, and, you know, going through the system coming through as a coach initially the system was almost directed what we were taught to coach in a way where it was very much coach-led coach-centered um, and not so much focused on 
in my opinion, the holistic development of the, of the the player or the person, if you like. And I think at the time, about five, six years into my journey is probably when this project came up and I, you know, I started to have different thoughts around what coaching should look like. And ultimately what I found was that, yeah, we can go down that path, but by going down the path of being very directed, we're almost ignoring what players can bring to the table, if you like. I think for me, it was an opportunity where, and I think I was quite vocal with this when we first spoke, that, you know, if if I'm going to be involved in this, I want it to be done in a particular way mm-hmm. um, in terms of numbers per from players to coaches um, and I guess the delivery style of the, of the of the environment. I think for me, it was almost taking a step back sometimes and not being so so rushed in getting involved in what the players are doing, mm-hmm. but allowing them to express themselves um, whilst giving them some structure, if you like. So I think for that, for that was a key part of that. I think a large part of the way I work is moving away from coaching the players, the what or the how, if you like, but more about helping them understand the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we had going on there um, with myself and the other coaches I brought on board, I think it was definitely an opportunity for us to kind of see, it, it was almost like a guinea pig project, if you like, because mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I'd done before, mm-hmm. um, but it was something that I believe would have worked. And I think the evidence is there, you know, mm-hmm. we, we worked with, like you said, over about 45 to 50 girls across that mm-hmm. period of time. And whilst there was, structure it was very loosely structured in a way where well, it they was. were allowed to express themselves it was i think what impressed me is as a as a parent and also i suppose the organizer of the club and watching other parents and the children develop over the over the weeks and months that we worked with them you created a, a very distinct coaching style within the club one that i i used to describe as a quiet coaching style mm. um, the girls would listen and they seemed, you seemed to create an atmosphere in which they became more coachable. Mm. Um, so there was really good discipline. Um, and this was, you know, from six to 11 years old. Mm. There was not just only good discipline, the sort of level of coachability was good. They, that didn't diminish how much the, the kids enjoyed the coaching sessions. Mm. They loved it. I think they really liked the discipline. But the freedom you gave them on the pitch and um, really encouraging them to think about things and communicate more. I'd, I'd never seen coaching like that. And my son, who's younger than Eva, had been in, you know, sort of football coaching clubs and football clubs since he was four. And I'd seen, I just saw a very, very different coaching style. One which was louder, which was more intrusive, which was seemed not as supportive. Mm. And I would, I think from then on, it has really shaped how I view coaches in terms of I feel I can spot a good coach a mile mm. off now as a parent. Right, okay. Both my children are now in their teens and they play lots of different sports and I think um, this is actually, maybe I'll, having said I'll turn the tables, I'm doing all the talking. <laughs> so let's change that background. I've obviously only seen you t- coach football. Mm. Do you think there are commonalities across sports that coaches should you know what qualities should a good coach show regardless of the sport um no it's a good question i think f- i don't you know where i where i used to maybe in my earlier days think about the sport being the center focus actually mm-hmm. the, the sport is just a vehicle if you like i think the coaching element more comes from first of all understanding the environment mm-hmm. um but also understanding the more more specifically the end goal the outcome for the environment so if I am working in a grassroots setting it's not whether it's a, a football setting it could be tennis it could be anything it could be a team sport an individual sport 
But I think ultimately it's understanding what the end goal looks like. So is it is it for a recreational purpose? Mm-hmm. Is it for a performance purpose? And mm-hmm. it, it, just because it's grassroots doesn't mean it can't be performed. So I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a com- common misconception I think people kind of take on board. Mm-hmm. Understanding that grassroots is essentially anything that falls outside of the elite pathway, if you like. Yeah. Um, but people quite often misunderstand that grassroots being, well, anyone outside the elite pathway is grassroots. Mm. Yeah, they are, but there's also different elements of grassroots as well. So I think it depends on the environment from that perspective. In terms of the qualities, and this is probably something that I've obviously developed over the years and understand that actually we're working with people, not players. Mm. And the people who become the players, and I think if we allow to, if we can tap into maybe what gets the people going, then mm-hmm. we start to understand how to get better, make better players out of them. Yeah. Um, maybe even make better players out of them is probably the wrong term, but help them become better players. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel, you know, and that's probably one of the things that irks me a little bit when people say, oh, yeah, I produced. Well, no, you didn't produce anyone. You just, <laughs> you just supported someone on their journey. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that bit is probably the most important part. But then also, you know, the basic skills in terms of the, the, the finer detail of the sport, understand the technical aspect of the sport. And I think, like, and I've been quite vocal about this in different spaces, but more specifically in the football world, I feel like we're moving away from this focus of the of the coaches being technically knowledgeable, if you like. Um, and there, there is this whole movement around becoming more holistic with the development, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Um, and if I think back to the environment that we were working in, it certainly was one where, yes, I was trying to be creating a holistic, holistic development environment, but I wasn't lacking focus on the technical side of things, where I feel like a lot of environments have now shifted towards a holistic perspective, but are leaving that technical bit behind. Mm. Um, thus, you're getting loads of different environments where players might be enjoying themselves, they might be developing, but maybe the, the development isn't being maximised or capitalised on. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, I think the, the, probably the key things that coach needs to think yeah, it's, it's about having the compassion for the player. Yeah. Um, understanding the reasons why the player is there in the first place. Yeah. And I've, there's always one story that kind of, uh, if I think back to my journey as a coach, that kind of resonates with me really well. And I just remember all the time. I never realised it at the time, but I'm working in Northwest London. I've got, a, a, you know, I'm working with a under 15s boys side. But I used to have this one kid who would come and train us with us on midweek on a Wednesday and, and we'd have training on a Saturday. But he lived in Peckham. It never made sense to me. It never made sense to me. So you, you, I know you're coming from Peckham. After school, you're always going to be late on a Wednesday. Mm. Now I've got two choices to make here. Do I punish him or discipline him because he's, I know he's going to be late? Or do I look at, right, why does he still want to come knowing that he's going All to be late? All this way, yeah. Exactly. And I, I, I guess I never asked that question at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a system in place that worked at the time. It, it, I didn't treat him differently because of it, but it, it did always kind of boggle me a little bit. Um, but as time's gone on, I've kind of looked back and think, actually, I must have been doing something right mm. for him to think about all the other clubs that are in London, never mind South London alone, mm. to come and travel all that way to come to me in Northwest London. It, it didn't make sense to me. And now I think, right, actually, whatever I was doing was something that was suited to that player. Yeah. Um, so I guess ever since that kind of moment, I've had that kind of, you know, that epiphany, if you like, I've always been conscious about how can I create an environment which is flexible yeah but multifunctional if that makes sense yeah i think that phrase compassionate coaching is really interesting and and understanding why the play is there and what Mm. they're trying to get Mm. out of it um if i go back to my squad the girls football coaching squad that we set up Mm. you know it was my idea but i couldn't have done it without you um there were girls there who hated pe at school Mm. 
They did not participate in any sport at school whatsoever. And, and what we saw was that girls who didn't feel comfortable in that school sport environment were coming to my squad. And I think, I, I absolutely believe it was the coaching style that you created at my squad yeah. that, that um, gave them the right environment yeah. for them to blossom and for them to grow. And I remember calling the school excitedly saying, I want the PE staff to come and see some of these girls because they will not believe what's, how, happened, what's yeah. happened to their sporting capabilities yeah. um, through this club. And, you know, it was, it was great. And I remember watching the faces of these girls one day when one of the PE staff did come and watch on a Saturday morning. The girls just, um, just they grew in stature. They looked so proud of themselves. And you could see the impact on their self-esteem because that teacher saw a different side to them that they'd never been yeah. able to get out of them as a what I would call a fairly bog-standard traditional PE teacher. Yeah. And I think, would you agree that... Um, so if we take that theme of compassionate coaching, do you think that is lacking in school PE teachers? Do you think they coach in a very one-dimensional way or do you not even think they coach? Do you know what? It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I can't speak too much on the, on the profession because I don't know what, tra- what kind of training they have to go through to become PE teachers. But um, if we're talking about that primary school age, and this is another key thing to kind of highlight, that was probably the first real experience where I was working predominantly over a, 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 mm. you know, a consistent and maintained period of time um, with players of that age. I usually mm-hmm. work with older players, uh, more more specifically, kind of working fourteens to kind of twenty threes, uh, with a lot of my experience. But we been with, uh, I guess you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old boys, in you know maybe Sunday league or clubs, um. But then a lot of my experience coming in college football, university football. So for me, it was, it was a challenge which I thought, okay, come cool, let me try and see mm-hmm. how maybe some of the theories which I believe in, mm-hmm. and they are just theories at that point because I haven't actually put them into practice outside of, outside of the environments I've worked in and whether they can actually apply themselves regardless of the pathway that we're working on. Um, so that, that was one of the key things for that. So I guess in terms of the PE teaching, from my understanding, and it might be lack of understanding in some ways, but I find that a lot of PE teachers, they, they just get the generic basic qualification in a sport mm-hmm. um, and they don't really specialise. I think, I think schools may benefit more from actually maybe not having PE teachers, but having coaches who are specific to sports. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that would work logistically, but... Mm-hmm. I think they're probably better or better suited. Then, like I said, some of the principles that I've applied in my coaching, there's certainly principles that I do believe would apply mm. regardless of the environment you're working in. And do you think those principles of coaching, so we're talking, we've been talking about coaching in very much a grassroots mm. perspective. Do you think there are elements of coaching in grassroots that still um, are valid in, an, in a more performance and elite background. So, for example, compassionate coaching. Yeah. Do you think that sits both well in well in both? One hundred and ten percent. I don't think I don't think you can separate them. I think it, it, they coaching is coaching, um, but I think the compassion piece is always got is always got to be there. So it, and I say compassion, but I think more specifically the reason as to why they're there. Mm. I think compassion probably lends itself more to understanding the individual a little bit more. Um, but I think the real key motivating factor is why are they there. Are they yeah. there to perform? Are they there to just enjoy themselves? Are they there to kind of spend time with their friends? And I think, so that piece, I think it is applicable to all avenues, but I think the key, the key, the key bit is understanding, right, I am going to be compassionate. I am going to be understanding towards the player or the individual, mm. but where are they trying to end up? Yeah. And 
sometimes that might mean, right, I'm going to push you a little bit harder, mm-hmm. even when you don't like it. Yeah. But because of the relation that's been built, you know it's coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we did, you know, if I think back now, something that we did really well uh, with the girls at the, at there. So I guess for a PE teachers to come in and see that, I think... I can only imagine being a PE teacher where you're probably working all day with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be quite taxing mm. mentally. Um, and for me, I guess, because I didn't, I didn't see it as a job. Mm. I didn't see it as a, as, as, a, as, a, <laughs> as a work commitment, if you like. I just thought it was, okay, here's an opportunity for me to just try out something yeah. different within my passion, if you like. Mm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Though. No, it does. I think, I think, you know, I've watched... I mean, I can only speak from personal experience, but I watched girls in my squad and my own children and their friends sometimes do really well in a club or mm. choose to move clubs, mm. you know. So we moved two years ago to a different area. My son immediately told me he didn't like the hockey club there. Mm. Something about it he didn't like. He chose not to play and it's one of his favourite sports. Mm. So we've found him a club which he's much more comfortable in and his his performance has gone through the roof, you yeah. know. Interestingly, he's part of a football club, doesn't win the league, it's quite low down. He doesn't care, he loves it. Mm. Yet he's one of the most competitive kids I know. And yeah. that's probably because he's my son, because <laughs> I'm really competitive. But it's really interesting watching him in different coaching environments yeah. and, and how he responds to both. And he's as loyal as anything to this football club, yeah. even though they will never even get halfway through the league. I mean, literally, they are bottom of the league. He doesn't care. He loves the coaches. He loves the, the kids he plays with. Whereas his rugby club, mm. they are literally one of the best in the southeast of England. He loves the coaching. Mm. Um, he really looks up to the coaches. It is physically more demanding than everything, anything mm. he's ever done. And he responds really well, but he's as loyal to both of them. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking like that, that bit about the physical bit. I used to think, probably because of my experience, that the way I worked was probably only relevant for older players because mm-hmm. I am quite tough on them in, in terms of, I would say tough, but I, I do expect a lot from them from the physical, physical output. Yeah. I don't like, if you like, lazy players. Yeah. It's almost have time to rest. I don't mind when you rest, but when you work, work. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's fine and I used to think initially that that was just a concept that could only work with older players because they mm. maybe understood that hard work means something if you like yeah. um, whereas I think coming into that environment what I found is actually no, I'm still going to let you work and I don't know whether you, you ever noticed but I was also even I spoke to the other coaches about this and I was quite vocal with it I don't want to give them drinks breaks mm. if they need a drink they'll ask me for one yeah and yeah. then go and go and have your drinks break. Why yeah. even am I to tell you that you need a drink? Uh, the the phrase work rate yeah. is a, is a phrase that I've learned since working with you. And I think um, coaches that can get people, children or adults, really pushing their work rate mm. um, and making the you know again whether it's kids or older people on the pitch um, conscious of their work rate mm. and are they really trying as hard as they can and is their work rate what it should be on the pitch? A hundred percent. I think one of the things that kind of you know stands out to me a lot is when I'm working with players. Work, and when I say working with players, or getting them to work hard, rather, it doesn't mean they don't have to. They they don't enjoy it. Mm. They can enjoy it and be working hard, and they, yeah. because they're enjoying it so much, they don't even realize how hard they're actually working. Yeah. Um. So it, it kind of always brings me back to when I'm working with certain players, and just before Christmas, in fact, you know, I, so. 
some of the stuff I do now, I go and support some grassroots clubs and some of the work that they do. And I got invited to, in to do a, deliver a session for this grassroots club. And I think the session was like 90 minutes. We got to about 10 minutes to go. And the guy was like, oh, we've got 10 minutes to go. We're not going to go into a game. And I just stopped for a second. I said, I said, let's just take a look at what's happening here. And you tell me if you think they need a game. Because the reality is, why do kids ask for a game? Well, players generally ask for a game because that, they see that as the part that's fun. Mm-hmm. But they've got 10 minutes to go. If you looked at them, it looks like they're having fun. They look like they're getting mm-hmm. enjoyment out of what they're doing. I'm certainly happy with the work rate they're putting in. So if the game is for no reason other than having fun, then why have it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to slightly change the question here. So you have coached um, predominantly boys mm-hmm. and young male adults, and you then um, coached very young girls from the age of 6 to 11. Yeah. Do you think that... Um, so here's a gender-loaded question. Do you think that girls and boys need different types of coaching? Um, Maybe we should do a whole podcast on this in yeah, a couple I of mean, months. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Katie, because I think... You know, just to kind of paint a bit of a picture, part of the reason why I got involved in the project and I felt I was quite passionate about it myself was I have a young daughter myself. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that I wanted her to play football because, to be honest, whatever she wants to do, I'll support her. But um, I just thought it'd be nice for her to have somewhere to go with daddy, if you like. Yeah. Um, which, you know, she did on, on some occasions. And it always made me think, OK, cool, actually, well, would it, would it be different? Because and this is another thing I'm always vocal for, vocal about is I don't believe in parents coaching their own children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just my personal thing. I don't think you can do it properly. I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> for, for many reasons, I think you, you know, it's in brief. You're either going to be too nice or you're going to be too harsh, mm-hmm. um, and you're always leaving yourself open to questions. So there's been plenty of times where my daughters come with me to different environments, and they'll say, "Oh well, she can be in your group." No, she can't be in my group. No, I don't want her in my group. Okay. Um, because I don't want her to feel like I'm daddy slash coach. No, I'm just daddy or I'm coach. Mm. And I don't think that can work with... That's just my personal experience. I think parental coaching is hard. Um, But going back to my question, do you think... Do you see a difference in the way you coach boys and girls? Or do you bring your sort of trademark coaching to everything you do? Um, I don't think there's a difference at all, no. I think, again, if you go back to the compassion piece... It's just understanding different perspectives and where they are in their journeys. Okay. A lot of the girls that we worked with in that environment, as an example, they either, as you said, they probably didn't enjoy PE, which I'm, I might not know, not have known too much about, but I certainly knew a lot of them didn't have experience playing football. Mm-hmm. And for me, the challenge was in that, right, okay, you've got no experience playing football. How how quick can I get you to a standard mm. where, one, you're, you, you've almost, if you like, even if it's only in this environment to begin with, mm. you've fallen in love with the game. Yeah. And um, two, beyond that, how quick can you develop to the point where actually the problem that we've come back to the start of it was you're going to a club and they're telling you, right, you're not good enough for a trial. Mm. So where'd you go next? Yeah. And, and we filled that yeah. gap in the market. 100%. Um, it's interesting what you said. Um, I was involved with the launch of UEFA's first women's programme um, called We Play Strong. And some of the cross-European research we did on that found that girls who play football um, found greater levels of self-esteem than girls who didn't. Mm. Um, and the reason they loved football and they went, they were attracted to football as a game was because of that 
friendship, team bonding and consciously, you know, they could feel their confidence and self-esteem rising, which I think is really interesting that that's very specific to football. Um, But just to wrap up this section of of the podcast today, before we talk about the Coaches Network, if I was to ask you three qualities that make a good coach, what would they be? a good question I've got a task on this and I deliver on, on some courses what is the best quality of coach um, it's an interesting one because obviously the, the environment does matter but I think if you had to pin it down to three potential things that I guess mm-hmm. are overarching um, technical knowledge for me has to be has to be nailed on yeah. as, a, as a number as a one because if you don't know about the game really so far you can kind of take them mm-hmm. um, I think it's an understanding of, I don't know whether this is a skill really or, or a quality if you like but having a toolbox of coaching styles mm-hmm. so you can kind of change your approach depending on who you're working with essentially but having a good understanding of those toolbox of that toolbox and the tools within it and I think lastly it's probably understanding having a knowledge of what the pathway looks like okay so I think a lot of players a lot of coaches from my understanding will go into an environment they'll coach players but not really understand what the next stage of the journey looks like or what the stage they may have come from right. may have looked like. They're just so focused on what's happening in the moment, yeah. which can be a positive. But in order to really impact the moment, you need to know what the journey is going to look like in the long mm-hmm. term. So, so I think having understanding... Technical, that, good toolbox, yeah, and understanding of the pathway. Certainly for me, yeah. Okay. And we'd throw compassion in there as an extra one? Um, or do you think that should just come through in everything? I think, I think if you understand the journey... Then you have Then you probably have the compassion for yes. it anyway. I think that naturally kind of lends itself to that. Okay. All right. Um, I thought it would be good to ask you a little bit about the Coaches Network, mm. which has grown very successfully, very quickly. Um, you've had some phenomenal guests on, which seriously, I mean, Shaq, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me, why did you start the Coaches Network? Interesting. Um, so the Coaches Network actually started in 2016 Mm -hmm. so around the time that we met um it was an idea that myself and a friend a friend came together and we said right this would be a good idea to be fair he knew i was a coach he was working on some different business ideas at the time he said yes what do you think about this i thought yeah it's a great concept it's something i'm definitely thinking of doing myself Mm -hmm. um but we never really quite knew what it would look like what direction to go with it maybe what kind of I guess if you like services or benefits there was going to be of having it. And then we got to, after some back and forth, we said, all right, what we might try and do is maybe offer some sort of mentoring, offer some sort of access to maybe discounts on equipment and things like that. So we didn't really have any idea, but one of the things I did off the back of it, I set up a WhatsApp group. Mm-hmm. Um, it started inviting coaches in. And we'd have regular discussions about different coaching-related topics. And what we ended up finding is that it was a lot of work because mm. I was posting jobs for people I was doing you know, all sorts of and what it was a lot of work so what ended up happening was life life takes over <laughs> you know and I, I guess with anything if you don't see maybe you know people talk about when you've set a goal to maybe keep faith and maintain faith that sometimes you're going to get that tipping point and things will change And but I think what was happening I was putting so much into it at the time in terms of trying to drive these conversations drive these you know put these opportunities out and you know job job roles and things like that but there was almost a, a lack of appreciation coming back or lack of um, recognition, if you like, which 
I think is probably one of the issues in the first place that we're, we're kind of tailed off because I was looking for recognition, but actually it wasn't about recognition. What was the purpose of it in the first place? The purpose mm. was to kind of benefit the community, if you like. Um, so that kind of, it, kind of, it kind of withered down and just tailed off a little bit. And then throughout kind of 2017 yeah, through to kind of eight, about 18, maybe for like an 18-month period, I, I kind of just... I went, through, I went through a weird phase in my own life uh, where... I stopped listening to music completely mm-hmm. and I was just listening to podcasts every single day. Mm. And there was a few podcasts I'd listened to quite, you know, almost religiously, if you like. And I thought, this is a, you know, I'd love to do a podcast one day. I'd love to do a podcast one day. And I kind of never really did anything about it. I just always had this idea and I always had a vision of me having a podcast and talking about different coaching related topics because that was one of the other things that kind of think really struck out to me was that with a lot of coaching related topic or podcasts or even football coaching podcasts more specifically people are always talking about the X's and O's what are the strategies what is this mm. you know this formation that formation of what it's all played out no one wants to listen to that yeah mm. it might be interesting here and there but not every single show or every everywhere yeah. you look um, so I never really knew what I wanted to do but then we got hit with a lockdown at the start of a, a lot or early last year and I was bored, bored. <laughs> I think it's about a year ago now, isn't it? When the lockdown came in, um, bored out of my head. So for about four or five weeks, it started the lockdown. Scratching my head, thinking, what am I doing with my time? I've just got nothing to do. I was, you know, driving my driving my missus mad. She was like, well, "We've had this idea for the <laughs> podcast. Why don't you just go and do something about it?" I was like, do "You know what? Yeah, let's do it. I'm gonna do it." So after after a bit of back and forth got a few coaches together that I knew, I guess were friends of mine and um, I said right I've got this idea let's just sit down and have a chat about coaching and just record it mm-hmm. and let's see how it goes um, and one of the key things for me I wanted to be not just entertaining but educational right so for me I guess the concept was I'm going to bring up a topic I'm going to do some research around some academic work that's been done on this area mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that to the forefront of the conversation and we're going to discuss our views and opinions on it and some experiences that we've had with that area, if you like. Mm-hmm. So that was the basis of it. Now, um, what I found was is that it wasn't necessarily hitting the level of content that I wanted it to. Right. Not to say that it was bad, but I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And my thing was, well, if it's not perfect, I can't put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing I've learned over, over time and through this whole experience is that perfect ain't done, but good is. Yeah. Good can get you can put it out there as good and it'll still as long as it, as long as it's done it's done. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. So it started off like that. Had the first few episodes. Released four episodes. I think if at the time with me and my me and my mates doing some um, discussions, but we actually recorded about thirteen or fourteen of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're actually just sitting there in the archives that haven't been released um, for one reason or the other. And then what I found was that I thought, okay, it's not quite where I want it. It's not because of them, but it's just not, it doesn't, it just doesn't have the right feel. And then I just gave one of my mates a call and we were just talking. I thought, you know what? I want to, I'm not going to, I want to interview you. I just want to see how it goes. Yeah. Um, so I think it was on a Thursday. He go, I go, when have you got some time? I go, oh, I'm free Saturday morning. Right, Saturday morning, I'm going to, I'm going to spend 45 minutes with you. Might, maybe an hour. We're just going to talk about your journey. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to just talk to you. Um, did that and I, I kid you not maybe two three minutes into starting that interview I thought this is it this is the format this it's... is the format I need to go with this yeah. at, at least for now mm-hmm. I've always had the you know the intention of coming back to those conversations yeah 
But I think to get the ball rolling, this is it. Because at that same time, I'm not dependent on anyone else other than me and the person I'm going to be speaking to. Okay. I don't have to worry about trying to get everyone together at one particular time and making sure that yeah, their, yeah. their recording equipment is all good and whatnot. So I thought, let me just try and control the controllable. So essentially, did that. I thought, this is really good. And I found one of the things, it comes, probably comes back to my coaching style. Something that I've been very conscious about developing over the years is my, if you like, art of questioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helped me in my coaching understand why players do what they do and that compassion piece, if you like. So it's kind of been a transferable skill that I've kind of been able to kind of bring over to this, if you like. And then having that conversation when, within a couple of weeks, I'm, I've started interviewing a couple other people and I think, oh, this is, this is all right, you know, I'm really enjoying this. And then I, f- I remember thinking, right, I want to do this, but I want to try and build some traction. How am I going to do it? Mm. Let me see if I can get who's in my phone book, who's in my network that I can kind of just reach out to, and who mm-hmm. might even people that I don't even know yet. Let me just reach out to them and see what happens. So I've just started reaching out to different people, and you know, if you're working in the football football space, you will know some of the names that I'm, you know that I did get in the beginning. So the likes of Chris Ramsey, who's obviously the, mm-hmm. the technical director at um, QPR. You've got uh, Tony Carr, who was, used to be academy director at West Ham. You know, he was responsible for the likes of the Ferdinands, John Terry, Frank Lampard. Yeah. All the players that came through at West Ham over that, over that 20, 25-year period that he was involved there. And just a few other names, you know, that started popping up. So, like, Mark Sampson, obviously, the former England Lionesses manager. And this is all within, like, maybe, what, the first six weeks of doing this interview-style podcast. Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, these, these are quite... Mm-hmm. relatively established people in the field mm. and what I've noticed within the first six or seven weeks of doing that I'm looking at the, I'm just looking at the stats not really bothered too much at the time but seeing that the podcast is already in 19 countries I'm thinking how's this possible mm. 19 countries I was like nah this is it, it, for some reason you know, we, me and my missus joke about it all the time there's some loyal fans in Lithuania that are keeping me <laughs> keeping me in the top 10 <laughs> of Lithuanian, Lithuanian charts why do you think it's been so successful it's interesting I don't even know if it, I don't even know if I can call it successful yet, to be honest with you, but I think it, it's it's gone on the trajectory it has for a couple of reasons. One, I think because it's been consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, I've learned that it's got to be consistent. Secondly, it's there's no structure to it. So it's like, quite fluid. Yeah, it's quite fluid, and I think the reason being because a lot of a lot of interviews that you kind of listen to, it tends to be that they've got a, and I can kind of tell now having worked in this space for a little while and listened to other people's podcasts. Actually, this looks like it's been pre. Yeah, it's Pretty, too formulaic. It's too formulaic, yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, it's almost like no matter what I say to this answer, this question, sorry, you're just still going to ask me the next question that you've got lined up rather than actually Listen delve a little and, bit deeper yeah. into what I'm actually saying. So I think that's one of the key pieces. And if I look at some of the feedback I've had, it's around that. It's, yeah. you know, we really like how, how it's not just breadth, but there's actually depth in everything that, that's been going yeah. on. So I think that's that's another piece. I think that's probably what makes it a little bit unique. And I think more specifically, it's about the person's journey more than anything. Um, so I'm, like I said, I'm not really worried about their strategy and what they have. Yeah, that stuff might be interesting to talk about, but mm. there's probably enough content about that anyway. Mm-hmm. It's more about understanding, right, how did this person get into this position they're in? What are some of the challenges they faced along the way and how have they dealt with those challenges? Yeah. What are the lessons they've learned and who's influenced them and how? Mm. And really to more get an understanding of why does the person think the way they think. Okay. So on that note then, who's influenced you? Um, do you know what? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone specifically that's influenced me. Um, 
in my coaching in my coaching journey anyway i don't know if there's anyone specific but i do tend to kind of look at coaches who have maybe come from a non-traditional playing background right to kind of look at and say right oh well you know he's managed to do that mm-hmm. so i can do that too um and just try and what it kind of just showed me that you can find your own niche yeah and get in get in some way what's next for the coaches network what are your ambitions for it so i mean sky's the limit i mean it's been going well. You know, this is obviously the hundredth episode. Um, we've got lots to come. There's a lot. There's a few guests that we've got in the pipeline. You know, I've got a team of staff that have joined the team. Great. And I, I hopefully that's going to continue to grow. And I think there's a few other projects I've got in place. Um, so just we just recently launched the first coaches network CPD webinar for coaches to kind of uh, tag onto. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that's available for people to kind of look into. Um, and there's a few other projects that you know I've got in the pipeline, but nothing that's been, nothing that's ready to be announced, shall we say? Okay, right. Um, watch this space or listen to this, this space. Watch this space, 100%, Yeah, <laughs> listen to this space. Definitely keep an eye on the social media and everything. But I think um, there's some exciting things that I'm working on, and hopefully, you know, over the time, like you said, you know, we've had some decent guests on, hundred episodes in now, um, plenty more to come. We are global. Yeah. Albeit it's still a relatively early um, stage in our journey, mm-hmm. if you like. I mean, you know, got to January before Christmas, yeah, just before the new year, we were, I think, 20, 29 countries, I think it was. And then obviously we dropped a big one on New Year's, new Year's Day. Yeah, um, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> so I dropped an episode with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and then within a week of that, it's gone from being in 29 countries to 69. Yeah. Um, which, is, which, is, which is crazy. Awesome. Um... um Right, I'm going to wrap up. I've got... Um, I want to ask, who were your sporting heroes? Do you know what? I don't, I don't know if I've got any heroes, you know, to be honest. I wouldn't know if I call them heroes because heroes it would suggest that they've got a massive impact on me, I think. But I think if I had to pick three sporting personalities, if you like, that was, mm-hmm. uh, that would probably up there for me. Probably Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think Ronaldinho. I think for, for three different reasons. I think Jose Mourinho, he, he's just so... You know, people can say what they want about him and his personality, but he, he he's a winner. He, he's you know he's dedicated on getting the best out of out of the situation, and even yeah. if it's not in the the prettiest of ways. And sometimes you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo because of his just his work ethic is is just different class. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they often say who's who's better, Ronaldo or Messi, but I can tell you, who works harder. It's definitely going to be Ronaldo, and then Ronaldinho. You can just see that you know he he just loved what he did. Yeah. And he just enjoyed his time doing it. Yeah. And it I shows, doesn't it? 100%. So yeah. He always did it with a smile on his face. Yeah. Well, um, it's been great interviewing you. How have you found the hot seat? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, it's, 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 taken, <laughs> it's, you know, it's taken me to uh, <laughs> parts of my journey that maybe I haven't spoken or thought about in a mm. long time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been interesting. Final thing to say, happy birthday. Thank you very much. I can't <laughs> believe you decided to do this on your birthday, but listen, happy birthday, mate. Um, it's been great fun. Um yeah thanks very much thank you well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys Take care.